when I started these, today will be the third of, I guess you could call it a series. I really, I was doing a series actually preaching through the book of Ephesians and at the beginning of the year, uh, last year, and put that on hold and these last sermons are back in Ephesians, so I didn't really create a separate series, I just stuck it in the Ephesians series, but there's some intervening passages that I skipped over that we may go back to, so maybe it's a little bit of a standalone series, and this will be the last piece of that, and for lack of a better phrase, I guess you could say that I've been preaching about spiritual warfare because the passage starts with we wrestle not against flesh and blood the, the first passage that I used two weeks ago we wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness in this world and spiritual wickedness in high places and now the third section of that the third and final section of that today and entitling it prayer for the battle Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 Reading from the New Living Translation, it says this, Pray in the Spirit at all times, and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Paul then writes this, And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. As I mentioned, entitled this prayer for the battle. Prayer for the battle. God bless you. You may be seated. Have you ever been around people that like to talk, and not just like to talk, but they like to talk about themselves, and frequently they like to talk about how good they are at something, that whatever it is, it could be playing Monopoly, and they are the best Monopoly player ever, or it could be playing golf, and they could tell you about their best shot, and how great they are, and then, or whatever it happens to be. Anybody ever ran across those people? They're like the greatest at everything until you actually do whatever it is they're talking about. And then they just happen to have a really bad day. Normally I'm not like this. Normally I win at everything. Normally I win at Monopoly or whatever it happens to be. And so the, the phrase is that talk is cheap. That until we actually see you do something, talk is kind of cheap. I, I don't want to hear you talking about how great you are. I don't really want to hear about how good you are, I want to see you demonstrate how good you are. Another phrase that they use of those people is that they are all talk and no action. Anybody know somebody like that? I mean, they can talk the best game you've ever heard, but they never actually do anything. Or this phrase, not only do you need to talk the talk, you need to walk the walk. And, and so the idea is that talk is really cheap and, and talk is not that important. It's about your actions and what 
that you do that really counts. However, I would tell you that when it comes to the kingdom of God, talking is imperative. That talking is not an option, and, and specifically talking that is to God. It's not about me telling you how great I am. It's about me talking to God about whatever I have need of and me telling God how great He is, me giving the glory to Him and me asking Him for His favor and His blessing and me asking Him for, to be involved in whatever the situation is that I need. But it's not that it's all talk when it comes to the kingdom. You should have action. But I, I, I would tell you that the talk is the most important piece because when we talk to God, it invites Him into our situation. It invites Him into our circumstance instead of me just trying to do it on my own. Me just trying to make it through on my own. I had a professor in seminary that said, unless you pray and unless you ask God to be involved in whatever it is you're doing, you can have no assurance that He will be involved. You can have no assurance that he's going to take care of you. You have, can have no assurance that whatever you need is going to be intervened by God. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he answers prayers that we don't pray. And sometimes he is involved in those things. But unless we talk to him, we can't have any assurance. And, and I would tell you that the most important thing that we can do is talk to God and then live out what we are praying about. It's not just praying and talking to God and saying, God, I'm leaving everything with you and I'm going fishing. That doesn't work either. We have to do certain things, but we have to pray first. We need to invite God into our situation first. We need to ask God to help us first, and then we do whatever it is we're praying about. So it's not just putting God out there and saying, all right, Lord, it's all on you. Nehemiah, and I've mentioned this maybe a few weeks ago, I preached on prayer, and, and I mentioned this, that Nehemiah, he, he, he didn't just turn it all over to God, nor did he do everything by himself. But when he's rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, and he rebuilds them in 52 days, which nobody thought could be done, period, much less in 52 days, what you see repeatedly in the book of Nehemiah is he says this, he says, he says, God is going to help us build the wall, and then we organized and we started working on it. Or he said, God is going to give us the victory. He said, so we, we had a trial in one hand, and we had a sword in the other. The enemies camped out there, and they don't want us to build this wall. He said, God is going to give us the victory, but he didn't put down the sword. He said, we had the sword handy, but we also had our trial, and we're mortaring the bricks, and we're putting them together on the wall. We're doing both. We're putting prayer and action. We're trusting God, and we're doing something as well. He said in a different way, he says, God is going to give us the victory, so we set a watch. We're looking for the enemy to come, so whenever they start coming, then we can participate in whatever God is doing. And prayer is the same way. It's not just turning it all over to the Lord and doing nothing. But it's praying about what you need to do and what God can do in your situation. And then you do your part of it. I'm going to talk about evangelism. I know it's going to shock you. You've been around here. I'm going to get to evangelism here in a minute. But I'm going to throw an evangelism uh, illustration here. You can't pray for God to, to help you to talk to somebody about Jesus. And then you don't open your mouth. 
God is not going to force your mouth to start talking. You have to do something. Should you pray for evangelism opportunities? Absolutely. Do you have to actually share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. It's a both and. Do you ask God to help you to communicate it well? Yes, but you have to still communicate it. So it's a both and. It's a talk and a walk. But I want to focus primarily on the talking part of this and the praying part of this and not just understand that talk is cheap except when it comes to God and you're talking to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Except when you're talking to the one who can do all things and has all power, who has all honor and all glory and all wisdom and whatever you need he has and he can do. Anybody thankful that God has all power today and whatever you need he can do in your life? So from this passage, I'm going to draw out four specific truths about prayer or about praying. And I initially uh, used questions for my my outline, my points, and I I tweaked that because, you know, I just wasn't wasn't as happy with the questions. But, you know, those, and I don't remember who said it, but the, the five men, you know, the who, what, when, where, and how. Anybody know that saying? Obviously, you know the who, what, when, where, and how, but there's a specific saying about the five men to help you figure out anything or whatever it is. If I had been prepared, I'd have looked that up, and I would have told you. But I, but I, had, I was using the who, what, when, where, and how, leaving out the where, but just lo- using who and what, when and how. And so I'm, in essence, going to do that without asking those questions today. And so I'm going to do it this way. These four truths or principles about prayer. The first is this, is that we are to to be praying for more than ourselves. We are to be praying for more than ourselves. I don't know about you, but I, I spend a lot of time, a lot of my prayer time, praying about me. Anybody else do that? I'm the only one who needs a lot of prayer, I guess. You guys are good. How many of you spend time praying about anything? Now we got, okay, I know you're hearing me. But if we're not careful, what we do a lot of times, at least what I do, is I spend a whole lot of time praying about me and mine. Now, and I don't mean me always just me specifically, it's about, but it's about my situations or my family or, or this church or, or things that I'm specifically involved around and it revolves around me and things that I'm connected with. So I spent a lot of time doing that. And, and in our text, it is an implied that you should be praying for yourself. It's not to, to pray just for other people. In fact, the context, if you understand this, we talked about it last week, we're to stand firm in the battle. And how do we do that? It's about putting on the armor of God. And then he, Paul transitions to prayer. Praying in the Spirit is another part of that standing firm. So we should pray for ourselves. We should pray that we stand firm. We should pray for those uh, areas of our life. But beyond that, what he specifically lists out is some others that we should pray for. And that is this, that we should pray for believers everywhere. At the end of verse 18, after saying, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. I'll be honest with you, I don't do this very well. I will pray for individuals that I know about. Somebody that's sick or 
And, and usually it's people that I personally know. I don't just randomly pray for people across the country. Even if I know there's a need. But I should. The Bible tells us to pray for all believers everywhere. Not just the people we know by name, but believers in China, we don't know their name, but they're being persecuted for their faith. Or people in Muslim countries that are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. Or wherever it happens to be, in this context of spiritual warfare and the spiritual battle, we are to pray for all believers everywhere. Not just my little circle, not just the people that I'm connected with, not just my Facebook friends, but all believers everywhere. He goes on, and I'm going to hurry through some of these, and I'll take more time on others, but he also wraps this up with the last two verses, or two-thirds of our text. He's asking for prayer for himself personally. And obviously, we don't need to pray for Paul today. Paul's with Jesus. But the principle is this, is that we should pray for spiritual leadership. That those who are in spiritual authority and leadership, they need prayer because they are at the brunt of the spiritual battle. In a family or in a home, as the, the father is, and whatever's going on with the dad, that frequently affects the entire family. He's the head of the house. And so spiritual leadership is the same way that if spiritual leadership is under attack or spiritual leadership isn't everything that they need to be, guess what? The church is going to suffer. So Paul says, pray for me. Keep praying for spiritual leadership. And I will, not arrogantly or pridefully, but I will in humility say, I need prayer. Not because I, I, I want extra special blessing. But because for you or this church to be what it needs to be, leadership has to be what it needs to be. For the preaching of the word of God to be effective, leadership needs to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. Leadership needs the strength and the empowering of God to be at work in them. Leadership needs direction. Leadership needs guidance and in, into leading the church and helping the church to, to function. So I don't say that because I want you just to yeah, spend all your time focusing on me. But spiritual leadership is what Paul is saying. He spends, like I said, two-thirds of this passage talking about praying for me that I will do and be everything I'm supposed to be. And we'll get into his specific prayers in just a minute. So understand this, that we should be praying for more than ourselves. And specifically, those things that we should be praying for is this. We should be praying for kingdom growth and expansion. Now, there's a lot of things you could pray for, a lot of things you could pray for me about, and a lot of things that Paul could be asking the Ephesians church to be praying for him about. But what he focused on was kingdom growth and expansion. Verse 19, ask God to give me the word so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that, that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. He's like, pray that I will have the words to evangelize Jews and Gentiles. 
In case you didn't know it, there are two kinds of people in Paul's world, Jews and Gentiles. He said, pray that I can reach everybody with the gospel. That everybody would, be, would understand that this gospel and this good news is for them. And then he closes this last sentence, so pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. You and I need strength to stand individually. So we should pray that we're standing firm in the battle. We should pray that we're standing firm when trouble and trial comes or when the spiritual enemy of our souls comes against us. Praying to resist the enemy. Those are all implied. But if I could take what Paul is is talking about for himself, we need personal boldness as well to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need personal strength from God to proclaim everything that God wants us to tell the lost of this world. And praying for leadership to proclaim the gospel. Specifically, he asked, as I mentioned, that he would have clarity in preaching the gospel. And I'm going to hurry to the next one here, but we should also be praying in every situation. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. That doesn't leave anything out. In fact, that means more than just our normal morning prayer. It means more than just our prayer for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Or snacks, if you pray for that. I don't think I've ever prayed for a snack in my life. I just don't think God's going to bless me when I'm eating between meals. Just out of curiosity, I'll chase that rabbit. Anybody pray for your snacks? Anybody? I mean, if it's a meal, I'm praying for it. But if it's a snack, I don't. Maybe we should start praying for snacks. We'd increase our prayer time. Might double our prayer time right there. All this stuff... Midnight snack, man, we got that. And in between breakfast and lunch and lunch and dinner. Does anybody else do that to eat? Anybody else? Some, some, every once in a while I'll fast between meals, but a lot of times I snack. But at all times and on every occasion, we are to pray. What are you facing today? What trouble is in your life? Or what good thing is in your life that you want it to continue to stay good? Pray at all times, on every occasion. When you're sick or when you're well or when you've got money and when you don't have money. When there are no problems and when there's too many problems to handle. Pray at all times and on every occasion. And of course the context of this is spiritual warfare or, or or fighting spiritual battles. That's how this passage intertwines with the ones before. And I would tell you that part of the reason we need to pray at all times and on every occasion is because you never know when the enemy is going to come in and begin to attack you. Sometimes he attacks us when things are going bad. Sometimes he attacks us when things are going good. But we don't know 
what's going on in the spiritual realm as often as we should. So we should pray at all times and on every occasion that, that Lord, no matter how great this is going, I, I still want you to be glorified. And, and I still want to honor you and I still want to be everything you want me to be. Or Lord, no matter how, Lord, this is going terrible, it's going horrible. Lord, I know that you're with me. And I'm asking for your blessing and your favor. And I'm asking for your protection from the enemy of my soul. So it is on every occasion, and I would specifically point out, though it is also on the worst of occasions. In verse 20, Paul says this, he says, I am in chains now. I mentioned this last week, that he is writing this epistle to the Ephesian church in a prison cell, looking at that Roman soldier that's guarding him, or the multitude of Roman soldiers, as it were, who are cycling through that are guarding him and looking at their armor. And here he references this when he says, I am in chains now. I'm in prison. I don't get to do what I want to do. I don't get to go where I want to go. I'm in prison for preaching the gospel. That's why I'm here. I've been preaching the gospel. And they have thrown me in prison. And ultimately, if you know this, Paul, when he appeals to Caesar, he ends up going all the way to Rome, and finally he is beheaded by Caesar for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's in prison for sharing the good news of Jesus. And his prayer is not to get out of prison. That'd probably be my prayer. To be honest with you. My prayer is, Lord, get me out of this. His prayer is not that. But he says, I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. Now understand this. Not every prison or every time somebody was in prison and depending on the kind of crime that it was or the type of citizen or non-citizen it was in Rome, you could be in a prison, prison, or you could be on house arrest. Sometimes the house, it may not be yours, it may be somebody else and they're going to keep you in there and you can't leave and they have guards to make sure you don't leave. And Paul references being on house arrest, and he, he references in other epistles about people coming in. And while he's on house arrest for preaching the gospel, you know what he's doing? He's got this evangelism ministry, and people are constantly coming in there to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And furthermore, he's preaching to the, the soldiers and the guards. Uh, you've arrested me for preaching the gospel, but let me tell you what the gospel is. Let me see if I can tell you what Jesus has done for you so that you can go to heaven. He doesn't stop preaching. He said, but pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. 
Don't get me out of this. Don't deliver me from prison. Just help me to be bold in continuing to preach the gospel. They're going to kill me for doing it, but I don't want to stop until they kill me. Don't let me stop until they take my life. Let me continue to preach boldly. And if I could say it this way, what this emphasizes is the imperative of mission and multiplication and disciple-making. It is why we are still here. It is the reason we are still here. People, sometimes people get saved and when they get saved, God doesn't deliver them from stupid. Anybody, anybody, if you've been around church a long time, you know that. <laughs> they still are not quite, still don't quite get it. And so sometimes people get saved and they continue to do really dumb things and, and make really bad decisions. And in those circumstances, people will say, I don't know why God doesn't just take them to heaven. And the reason that he doesn't is because he still has a mission. And if, and if God took all of us to heaven when we're saved, guess what? Nobody would get saved again because it takes people reaching people. That the mission is about multiplication and making disciples. It's what we are called to do. And Paul says, don't get me out of here. Just let me preach boldly. Let me speak boldly. Let me speak with clarity so that they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and that they too might be saved. And lastly, we're going to be praying continually beyond ourselves first point was for more than ourselves and here continually beyond ourselves and all of this is found in verse 18 pray in the spirit and then skipping ahead stay alert and be persistent this idea of praying in the spirit depending on your theological understanding and your background could have a, a number of connotations but I'm going to tell you what I believe the Bible says and, and I will support it with scripture it does indeed mean praying with the spirit's leading that we are to be in tune with the spirit and that the spirit will tell us what to pray with as we are that when we have the Holy Spirit living in, inside of us, we should expect God to speak to us. We should expect God to talk to us. And at times, that means that the Spirit will just drop somebody's name or some situation in your, your heart or your mind. And you should pray by the leading of the Spirit in that sense. That the Spirit is leading and guiding what it is that you pray. But, but there is also... Another aspect of this that is not just the praying with the Spirit's leading, but it is praying with the Spirit's words. 
It is praying with the Holy Spirit's words. Paul, and most of this is going to come from 1 Corinthians, but he, he writes, when we don't know what to pray as we ought to pray, the Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. That when I'm praying and, and, and I don't even know what I need to ask for. Anybody been there? You're praying and I don't even know how to ask or how to pray in this situation. I know what the problem is, but I don't even know what to ask God to do about it. And Paul says that the Spirit will make intercession for us with groanings that cannot even be uttered. And it's just the Spirit doing it on our behalf, praying on our behalf. In fact, the Spirit is, God is talking to Himself through us when we don't know what to pray. And He's saying, because prayer is so important and God has chosen that He only works or mostly works when we pray, that when we don't know what to pray, He says, well, I, need, I know what to pray, so I'll pray for you. Think about that. Prayer is so important, and it means so much, and God wants to bless you and do what you need so much, He'll pray the prayer that you can't pray. I need Him to do that a whole lot more. For He prays through us. Paul, when, he, when he's doing this excursus in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 on spiritual gifts, and Chapter 14, he, he spends a lot of time on speaking in tongues because of the misuse of what's going on in the Corinthian church. He makes a couple of different statements. He said, he who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. And the context of that is this, that if I came up to the pulpit and I just started speaking in tongues, you're going to be sitting there going, okay? You won't get anything out of that unless there's an interpreter. And Paul says, that's not the way it's supposed to work. That's the way the Corinthian church was doing it. In fact, the way it was being been in the Corinthian church is, by, for those of you here, it's like, hey, I got a word. You come up here and you talk in tongues and everybody's going, Okay. And then the next person comes up, and you just got everybody doing it. And so Paul puts parameters on what that looks like. And so that's, that's the bigger piece of what he's trying to do is, is help people understand how this should function. That doesn't preclude all of us from speaking in tongues whenever the Spirit gives the, the utterance or whenever we feel God wanting us to do it. But my point is this, is that if I'm speaking in tongues, God has given me the utterance and I am talking to him. I'm not talking to you. It's another way that the Spirit is praying through me for the things that I need God to do in my life or in somebody else's life. And sometimes when you're praying for people, you're praying for those believers everywhere and you don't know what to pray for, then the Spirit will come on you and you will begin to speak in tongues as God is praying for them through you. You don't know the specific problem they're facing. You just know that something's going on and they need God's protection or God's help. A third thing that he says is this. And this right here ices the cake for me as to praying in tongues is what he really means by praying in the Spirit here. When he says pray in the Spirit always or at all times in first corinthians he says this 
after talking, and he, he, he writes about speaking in tongues, and he says, I thank God that I talk in tongues more than you all. And he says, there don't, people don't understand that whoever speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. But then he says this, he said, but I will pray in the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. And that dichotomy that he makes, that distinction he makes right there, he's saying, I'm going to pray in tongues when I don't understand it. And then I'm also going to pray in my language that I do understand. I'm going to pray in the Spirit, and I'm going to pray with understanding also. It's not that we should always pray in tongues, and that's the only thing that we do. But it also means that it shouldn't be something we never do. That we should pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. And as I thought about this, and I thought about it in the context of spiritual warfare, and I thought about it in the context of we don't see the things of the Spirit realm. Sometimes God allows us to see that, and sometimes God gifts people, and they can just see spiritual things happening all over the place. But for the majority of people, that doesn't happen so I'm going to pray in the Spirit because I don't know what to pray for. I don't know what the, the, the enemy of my soul is doing. I don't know what the spiritual enemies are out doing. So I'm going to pray in the Spirit so God will take care of it because God knows. So what do I mean praying continually beyond ourselves? It's not just with my words, but it's with His words. And the continual part is to be persistent. He says, stay alert. That word means don't fall asleep. If I could say it in the words of Galatians 6, be not weary in well-doing. Don't get tired. Don't fall asleep. Don't go to sleep on the job because if you do, the enemy of your soul is going to come and attack you. Be aware of the needs around us. Aware of the persecution in the world. Aware of the need for the salvation of souls persistently he says and be persistent in your prayers continually and with intense effort is the meaning of the word there you see this this persistence and this continually praying we've talked about it recently the widow and the unjust judge the man begging for bread from a neighbor that, that this persistence and not giving up, not just praying once and being done with it, but persisting. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. That continual knocking, continual seeking, continual asking. As the musicians come, we should be praying for more than ourselves praying for kingdom growth and expansion praying in every situation and praying continually beyond ourselves understand this that prayer is essential it's not an option for believers Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, 
He did not say, if you pray, pray like this. But he said, when you pray. It is the assumption. It is the command of this text. Praying in the Spirit at all times. It is what we are called to do. But we're not just praying to go through the motions but prayer really works my grandmother used to sing a song prayer changes things that when we pray God moves and God works and things change that the enemies of our soul are pushed back the blessings of, in favor of God are released. The healing of God is released. The grace of God. The salvation of God. Prayer changes things. And I'm not asking and suggesting to you that you need to block out a two-hour window on your calendar every day I'd probably be good but I'm not asking you to do that and to be honest with you the Bible does not give us a prescribed time to pray or a prescribed amount of time to pray Thessalonians 5 pray without ceasing that doesn't mean that we never stop in the course of our day but that means we don't come into relationship with Jesus and in the first year we pray and then we got it all done no we continually pray we keep praying at all times and on every So what do I want you to do? Commit to daily prayer. More than the now I lay me down to sleep and the, the more than Lord thank you for this food. Daily communication, communion. God hears our prayer. Somebody told me just this week that for weeks, maybe months now, I guess it is, every day praying the whole way to work. And then this week, God says, today's the day. He was listening. He was hearing it all. But if we're not praying, then 
we probably will never hear him answer back. That if we don't talk to him, he probably is not going to talk to us, or at least we will not hear him talk to us. So commit to prayer. Whether it's five minutes, build on it. You can only go two minutes and you run out of things to pray. Remember, you can pray for believers everywhere. There's 220 or so nations in the world, and you can take you a few couple of minutes just to name them all off. Lord, pray for the believers in Nigeria and, and pray for the believers in Turkey. And protect them. Lord, let there be revival in those nations. Let people that know the truth be bold in declaring it and their declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's all manner of things you can pray pray in the spirit where the spirit is leading if you don't feel anything specific just do do what you know pray for what you know and when you do that you will start getting led by the spirit more and more as God will start dropping things on your heart and I'll pray for this and pray for that so commit to prayer and in the context of this and two-thirds of the passage about Paul sharing the gospel, I want you to commit to sharing the gospel as well. But with the illustration I used my introduction, don't just ask him to help you share the gospel. You actually have to open your mouth and tell somebody about Jesus. And in the next few weeks, be doing some things on evangelism primarily on Thursday nights on how to share the gospel, how to actually evangelize how to start God conversations how to begin to tell people about Jesus if you don't know how to do it, begin to pray now God can show you, you don't need me to show you God can tell you how many of you believe really believe that God will talk to you that he will really say, when you say, Lord, what should I do in a situation that he will really go, this is what you do. You may not hear an audible voice. You may not hear it with your ear, but you'll hear it. But you have to pray. You have to ask him to speak. And thirdly, what I want you to do is this. Commit to walk out whatever you pray about. Now there are some things you can just turn them all over to Jesus. and You don't need to do anything. There are a lot of things we pray about that we need to do something about. Whether it's evangelism or whether it's on the job or whatever it happens to be you'll know but walk out whatever you pray let's stand together once again and I'm not going to go over these there are seven things in the church app under this sermon and at the end of the sermon notes seven daily things you can pray based on this text 
you don't know what to pray, go to that list and you can just pray those seven things every day. And if you pray with any specificity, it'll take you quite a while. You don't have to worry about a two-minute prayer or five-minute prayer. It'll take you longer than that. These are just general categories. Jesus, this is not my notes. I'm really wrapping up. Jesus got mad because of what they were doing in the temple and they were the money changers and it was more than just selling animals in the temple it was more than that it was a money making scheme where you could bring your sacrifice travel all the way to Jerusalem to the temple and bring your sacrifice they would look it over because your sacrifice had to be perfect without blemish. You couldn't, you couldn't bring a lamb that had a brown spot on it or had something wrong with it. And so you could check it all out yourself and then you'd bring it to the temple and they'd be like, oh, this isn't good enough. But for this many denarii, we'll sell you one that's just right for your sacrifice. At an inflated price, where else were you going to do? just traveled this distance with this little lamb that you were going to sacrifice and now you can't do it. They're telling you it's not good enough and so they would take your money and give you their sacrifice and charge you double or whatever. But when he got mad and he made a whip and he cleansed the temple, what did he say? He says, I'm not really focusing on the den of thieves, but he says, my house shall be called a house of this house should be a house of prayer. Your house should be a house of prayer. But if I could make it even more individualistic, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit, but this house should be a house of prayer. Would you make that commitment right now as they sing? make your life a life that revolves around prayer. Jesus, we need you.